Okay, so it's really good to see you guys. As always, it is a privilege and a joy to come here and share with you the Word of God. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, We're going to look, uh, we're going to continue our class on Christology. What does that word mean? Christo? Studying Christ. Studying Christ, all right? The study of Christ. And remember, we've taught in the past, if there's nothing else you hear when I come here and teach, if you can just hear this, that the Scriptures are about Jesus. They are Christocentric. Everything from Genesis to Revelation points us to Christ. There's a hymn that we sing called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Glorious Face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And the truth of the matter is, no matter what your struggles are, your struggles can be secondary once Christ becomes primary. Once you focus on Him, and once you realize it's about Him and not about you, once you you allow the Word of God to transform your heart and to transform your life, you will start realizing that it's about Him and not about you. And that is one of the keys to being successful Uh, in this world, not as the world sees it, but as your God and your Creator sees it. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That's the greatest commandment. That sums up all ten of the, the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with loving God and the last six have to do with loving your neighbor. And so all Jesus was doing was summarizing the Ten Commandments. And so, uh, you want to be obedient to God. We, uh, uh, Paul teaches we're not under the law. right? We're not under the law, but the law is still the expressed will of God. If you want to know, how, how many of you ever asked, what is God's will for my life? you ever asked that before? you ever had somebody ask you that? Well, yeah. next time, say this. God's will for your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's His will. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we need to understand that the, even though we are no longer as children of God under the condemnation of the law, the law is still our ruling God. And it's still very useful to you as a child of God. Because if you truly are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, if you truly have a regenerated heart, then according to the Scriptures, God has written that law on your heart. He has literally inscribed that law like Moses inscribed it on the stone. God inscribed it on the stone for Moses. If you are a child of God, God has written it on your heart. And that's what it says in Ezekiel. I will write my law on their heart and they will forget me no more, right? Nobody will have to teach them because the law will be within them. And so if His law is in your heart, then it should be coming out of your mouth. It should be coming out of your emotions. It should be coming out of where you put your hand, your feet, your eyes. If God's Word is in you, it should be coming out of you. And so, all of that to be said, that you have lived a life in this world as a fallen child of God, a fallen child of Adam. And as a fallen child of Adam, from the time you come out of the womb, it's all about you. The first words you learn as a child is mine and no, and mama and dada. And the reason you learn mama and dada is because mama and dada give you what you want. You see, that's why you learn their name. And so it's about you. Mine. 
no, you can't have it. Me, me, me. And if you ever want to listen to a child, who do they talk about all the time? Me. I want a popsicle. I want candy. I want a like I, I, I. And they struggle with that perpendicular itis, right? It's all about them. And the truth of the matter is, unless we have a regenerate heart, we never grow out of that. If you don't believe me, next time you're out there uh, sitting around, none of y'all smoke anymore, but y'all sit around outside here on the, in the patio, listen to your brother or sister's conversation. And just for one minute, just listen how many times they say, I, me, and mine. How much of your conversation is about you? How much of your thought process is about you? My family at home, my addictions, my problems, my law. I'm in trouble with the law, my peril with the courts, with the fines I've got to pay, the bills that I still owe. It's all about me, 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 my, my, my. And so, because you have lived a life living for self, God has allowed you to see what the end of self is. And it's death and destruction. But when He changes your heart, you begin to live for God and others. And it flips your world upside down. It turns everything over on its head. Because now that you are living for God and others, you find the purpose and the meaning that God had created you for. So all of the Scriptures point us to Christ to reorient us to where it's not about me, it's about Him. And so if there's nothing else you hear in this class, please understand that the Scriptures are Christocentric. They're all about Jesus. Now, with that said, we're going to continue our study of Christology or the study of Christ. We've learned in the past few classes, we've learned that Jesus is... He came to fulfill three roles. Does anybody remember what the three roles? Uh, what are three things that Jesus is? He is a prophet. He is a priest. And what else? King of kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's a king. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. So in the same way that Moses was a prophet in the Old Testament, Jesus is a prophet in the New Testament. In the same way that David was a king, Jesus is the king. And the way that Aaron was a priest, Jesus is a priest. But Jesus is the greater prophet, the greater priest, the greater king. Aaron and Moses and the laws and the sacrifices and all of the Old Testament was lived out by the by His people, the Jewish people, but all of it points us to Christ. It's all about Him. Think about the Jewish people. What did they do? God said, I've created you to be a light to the world. But instead of being a light to the world, they allowed that light to spotlight them. Look at me. You see? Same thing we did. And what happened? They fell on their head. They fell in disobedience and sin. And so, all of the Scriptures are about Him. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And for the last few nights, we've, as we've been together, we've been talking about the fact that Christ is our mediator. What does it mean to say that Christ is the mediator? What does a mediator do? It's in the middle of something. All right. So he is the mediator. The median and the road want east and west go, and the medians in the middle. So who? Is, what is Christ mediating? What is he? Who is he mediating? Our Father and us. 
And he's in between, right? He's mediating between Adam and God. He's the mediator, the go-between, the middle. Middle man. It's okay to say middle man because he's the man. And so in the past we've learned about that, but tonight we're going to focus on, again, for those of you who don't remember, um, I'm using a creed called the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. And in that creed we have some creedal statements, and then we're taking that creedal statement and breaking it down one by one and finding the Bible verses to back up what that statement says. All right? And so anything that I say in here that comes from that creed, I want you to question it. I want you to get into the Scriptures and make sure what I'm saying is scriptural. Because that creed, now remember we said, what does the word credo mean? Who remembers? Credo. What is it? Credo. Huh? Credo. C-R-E-D-O. Credo is a Latin word. What does it mean? Uh. What is where we get the word creed from. The word credo means I believe. Credo. So a creed is a statement of what I believe. Remember? I told. Remember I used the example last week. Tony, is Tony still here? Yeah. Okay. okay. Tony's a Catholic, and as a Catholic, Tony is a pedo Baptist. Now the word pedo, podiatrist. What? What is um? Pedo mean? A pedo baptist is someone who baptizes infants. Pedo being child. Okay? So if you're in this room and you're a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Catholic, you are a pedo baptist. That means that you baptize your kids. Alright? Well, I'm not going to get into it with you whether or not that's right or wrong, but I'm just telling you that a pedo baptist is someone who believes that we baptize children, infants. Okay? What do you think a credo baptist teaches? What did the word credo mean? I believe and then you're baptized. You see? A credo Baptist is someone who makes a profession of faith and then is baptized. And the credo Baptist think the pedo Baptists are wrong because the credo Baptists don't think that a pedo Baptist, that a child can say what they believe yet. They don't know. So a credo Baptist is someone who believes that you are baptized after you make a profession of faith, after regeneration. Okay? So anyhow... This is a creed, and again, I'm going to read these creedal statements to you, and then we're going to go through and we're going to break them down. So let's look at 8.3 together. Um, I had gave you all that handout, and this is what it says. <clears throat> um, did we pray? We, we need to pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together with your family, with my brothers and sisters, and for us to have a chance to study your word. Your, your word is truth, and Lord, we need it to conform us to your image. We need it to know you, to grow, to be sanctified. We need it to uh, battle the sin that is in our lives. We need it so desperately. Your word is eternal, and this world is passing us by, and we need tonight to grab hold of that which is eternal. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, please help us. Open our ears, our eyes, our minds, and our lives to these truths. I pray that you will help us to receive these truths. I pray that you will help us to believe these truths. And my prayer is that you will give the willingness and the strength and the opportunity to share these truths with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, in this creedal statement, 8.3 says this. The Lord Jesus, in His human nature, united this way to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure. He had in Himself all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. 
the Father was pleased to make all fullness dwell in Him, so that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, He was thoroughly qualified to carry out the office of mediator and guarantor. He did not take this office upon Himself, but was called to it by His Father, who put all power and judgment in His hand and commanded Him to carry them out. Alright, you have that statement. Um, That's a lot to take in at one time, so what we're going to do is we're going to go... If you'll notice um, on your handout that I gave you, each sentence or so is going to have a footnote by it, and then that footnote is going to connect us to some Scriptures to validate the statement. You see how that works? Alright, so let's look. Um, let me see if I can find this here. Okay. So, in 8.3, the first statement says this. The Lord Jesus... What does it mean to call Him Lord? We've talked about that in the past. Lord. Master. Okay, good. I always like to use the term, you're not the... When I'm fighting with my buddy... Boss of me, right? You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. If you truly, when you bow your knee, when you bow your heart and you pray to Christ and you call Him Lord, what you're telling Him, what you're admitting to Him is He is the boss. You're the boss of me. We don't like that. Because if He's the boss, that means I'm not the boss. You see? And we like to be the boss. Alright, so the Lord Jesus in His human nature thus united the divine in the person of the Son. So He united to the divine in the person of the Son. He was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. When was Jesus anointed with the Holy Spirit? Y'all remember? When He was baptized, right? And the Spirit descended on Him. Why? Yep. yep. Why, did, why was Jesus anointed with the Spirit? He's God. Why did He need to be anointed with the Spirit? He was man, and he needed to be empowered to do what God, his Father had called him to do. That's exactly right. And after he was filled with the Spirit, what did he do? After he was anointed with the Spirit, he went out of the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And because he had the Spirit of God on him and in him, and because he is who he is, the devil could not tempt him, right? The devil lost. The devil tempted Adam in the garden, and Adam lost. The devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus won. You know, it was completely different. Adam had everything he needed. Jesus had nothing but the Spirit, which is what he really needed. And he was able to defeat the devil. So let's look at these passages of Scripture that validate the statement, the Lord Jesus in His human nature, thus united to the divine, in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. Let's look at those statements. All right, If you want to take your Bible and turn there, I would be very happy if you would do that. Um, you can kind of start memorizing your Bible verses as you go flip through the pages, right? So let's go to Psalms. That's in the middle of your Bible. If you open up the very middle of your Bible, you'll land in the book of Psalms. That's a good way to find the book of Psalms. If you flip in the middle, you'll land on Psalms, all right? Psalm 45, verse 7, all right? And it says this, Psalm 45, verse 7, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. 
Therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. So He was anointed. But look what it says. God, therefore God, your God has anointed you. Now, next time you talk to your Jehovah Witness friend and they tell you that, that never in the Bible says that Jesus is God, this was written by David and it is a prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. And what does it say? Therefore God, your God, has anointed you. So when Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, it was a fulfillment of this psalm, this prophecy. God anointed who? God. Amen? You see how that works? Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. Your throne, O God, is forever. Now, where is Jesus sitting right now, guys? He's on the throne. That's Zechariah. He's king. He's sitting on the throne. And how long is that throne going to last? So... A lot of people don't think that Jesus is running things right now, but the reality is He is the King and He is running everything. There is nothing happening that's beyond His grasp or His understanding or His control. Jesus does not call pain and suffering and death. Jesus does not call sin, but He does allow it. And He allows sin and death and, and all of those things to take place in this world that we are in. He allowed you to fall. So that you could recognize that it was His grace and not your strength that was going to get you through life. All right, He allowed everything to happen. There's nothing happening right now. Jesus is not up in heaven pulling His hair going, Oh no, what am I going to do with these rascals? Like, He is in control. He's God. Okay? Alright, next verse. We're going to look at Acts 10, verse 38. But I'm going to go 34 to 38. We're going to look at four verses there, or five verses. It says... This is Peter preaching and it says, And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most truly comprehend now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the one who fears Him and does righteousness is welcome to Him. As for the word which He sent to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. all right, who is Lord of all? Jesus Christ. What does it mean to say He's Lord? He's the boss. And with Peter using that term Lord, he's pointing them straight back to the Old Testament where Yahweh is Lord. Alright? It's a direct statement of who He is. Verse 37, You yourselves know the thing which happened throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God did what? anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. Alright, now, go back up and look at the statement again, because I want to show you how this creedal statement is working. Yes, sir? It's Acts 10, verse 34-38. through 38. All right, Go back up and look at the creedal statement again, that, that first statement. The Lord Jesus in His human nature was thus united to the divine. In the person of the Son, He was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. All right. So after we've read these verses of Scripture, can we definitely say that that statement is true? That is a true statement. Okay. All right. Let's look at one more verse. John three thirty four. John three thirty four. It says, "For He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for He gives the Spirit without measure." 
Alright, now. That statement He gives the Spirit without measure is not talking about Him pouring out the Holy Spirit on you at your worship service on Sunday afternoon. Alright, that's not what it's talking about. Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. Alright, that's who it... Remember, the Scriptures are Christocentric. It's about Him. So read it again. For He whom God has sent... Alright, who are we talking about there? Who is the He? Jesus, the Son, and who is God, the Father, has sent, speaks the words of God. So who speaks the words of God? Jesus. For He gives the Spirit without measure. Who is it that gives the Spirit without measure? It's both of them, actually, the Father and the Son. There was a big split in the church back in like 400 A.D., like 400 A.D., uh, between the Greek church and the Roman Catholic church about who gives the Spirit? The Roman Catholic Church said the Father and the Son get the Spirit, and the Greeks said no, it was just the Father who gets the Spirit. And there was a big split in the church about that argument. But we know through scriptures that both the Father and the Son give the Spirit. Okay? Now he says this. That's that first statement. Alright, now let's look at the second statement, 8.3b. Having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what does Jesus have in him? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, let's look at a, a passage of scripture, Colossians two three. Colossians two three says this: In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I wonder where they got that creedal statement from. They got it straight out of the scriptures, didn't they? Colossians 2.3 says, In Him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So who has all wisdom and all knowledge? Jesus. And it's a treasure. He shares that knowledge and wisdom with us, does He not? How does He do that? Does He do that while you're sleeping, pour the Spirit out in your ear? Is that the way that God gives you knowledge and wisdom? Huh? The Word. That's exactly right. You want spirit and knowledge? You want wisdom and knowledge? Then pick up your Bible and read it. That's what God has given you to know Him, to know yourself, to know the world around you, and how to defeat sin and self and to to live in this world that we're in. And in the Scriptures are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and it's a matter of you... It's a matter of you seeking the Holy Spirit's empowerment to understand what He has written so that you can know Him. If you want all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, open up your Bible and read it because they are the Word of God. Okay? Alright. Let's look at that next passage. That next statement says what? In whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell. Alright, let's look at that Colossians passage. We're going to actually, I want to read Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. So turn to Colossians 1. That's one page to the left of where you should have just been, right? You were just in Colossians 2, I think, weren't we? All right, so it shouldn't take you long to find that. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20 says this. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? Now, was Jesus born? Yes. Yes. He certainly was as a man. But how long has He been around? Forever. Forever. All right. So, remember, in Colossians, when it talks about the fact that He is the firstborn of all creation, that does not mean that He was the first thing that was born in creation. 
The firstborn is a title. It's an entitlement. It's a title. What does the firstborn get? Everything. The inheritance. So it's not talking about Him being born into the creation. It's talking about the fact that He is the only begotten of the Father. He is the firstborn of the Father. He is the one that gets the inheritance. Who does He share that inheritance with? Us. That's exactly right. His children. Uh, right. The Father gives the Son a people. The Son comes and saves those people. And then those people are heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. So when it talks in Colossians about Him being the firstborn, it's not talking about being born. Him being born like of Mary. Okay? Now, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons will both tell you that's exactly what that means, but the reality is firstborn is a title. It's a title of Him being the heir. Firstborn. Okay? Because He is the Creator. He can't be the firstborn. He can't be creation because He is the Creator. And if you can always keep that distinction in your mind, you will not fall into heresy. Jesus is the Creator, not the creation. The Mormons believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. They're brothers. Now what's wrong with that? Satan, what is Satan? He's a what? He's an angel, so that means that he is a creature because he is created. And if Jesus is his brother then that means Jesus was created too. You see? Jesus is the one who created Lucifer. Jesus is the Creator. Remember what we learned last time we were together in John 1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. See, Jesus is the Creator. And if you can always keep that distinction between creator and creation, you can avoid heresy. Because every heresy tries to pull Jesus into the creation. Remember, God created us in His image. And ever since the fall, man has been trying to create God in His image. We've turned it on His head and we're trying to make God like us. Think about the Greeks. Zeus. Apollo, Aphrodite, Hera, all of those goddesses and gods, what were they? They were just, they had personality. They were like people. They got mad. They snuck around and cheated. They they did bad things and they were just like us. You see? And so ever since the fall, man has been trying to create God in his image. And that's where all the heresies come from. So, God, Jesus is the creator and he created the creation and those two things do not mingle okay all right so uh, he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for in him all things were created there you go both in the heavens and the earth visible and invisible why did they say, why did paul say that visible and invisible what's invisible creation spirit spirit yeah, yeah. spirit and heat right he created heat He's not visible, unless you got one of them, like the predator things that you can see. He, uh, well, yeah, heat sensors. Okay, all right. Rabbit hole. We didn't need to be there. All right. So, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and what? For Him. 
So the sun, the moon, the star, the bird, the bee, flower, trees were created for Him. They're His. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's another firstborn in it. What does it mean to say He's the firstborn from the dead? He was the first person resurrected from the dead after the new covenant was cut, right? The covenant was cut in His blood and He was the first person to rise from the dead after He died on the cross. Firstborn from the dead so that He Himself will have come to have first place in everything. There's that firstborn. Again, it's not talking about when He's born. It's talking about a title. Firstborn from the dead. And it says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Alright? So really quickly, go back to that HC and look what it says. In whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell in Him. Alright? And D, it says, To the end that being holy, harmless, and undefiled. It says that Jesus is holy, He is harmless, and He is undefiled. Holy, harmless, and undefiled. I wonder where they got that statement from. Let's go and look in Hebrews 7.26. Hebrews 7.26. Jesus is holy, innocent, and undefiled. Holy, harmless, and undefiled. Hebrews 7.26 said, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. We have a priest, a high priest. How high is he? As high as they get, right? He's he's above the archangel, right? He's above he's above all creation. That's how high he is. Above everything. And it says he is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. We can all agree with that. All right, let's look at that 8.3. 8.3. E. Uh, now we're going to go to John 1.14 now. He is full of grace and truth. What is grace? It's, unmarried. it's a gift that we don't deserve. We cannot earn it. Yet, grace is a gift that you do not deserve. It is a gift that you cannot earn but it is a gift that any of us can have if we will only ask for it. Alright? All we have to have is faith. God's grace is there. Matter of fact, our faith is a gift of God's grace. Were it not for God's grace, you would never believe. It's His grace that exposes you to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and opens your ears and your heart to the truth. That's His grace. You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. You simply believe. Okay? Okay? So let's look at that passage, and what if we look at it, uh, John one fourteen, and it says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, now again, remember how we were talking about the fact that there's a lot of people that say uh, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God. But this right here says that 
the Word became flesh, we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Alright, now, we did this about three weeks ago, and I'm not going to turn back to the passage. I can't remember which passage is right off the top of my head, but it's in Isaiah, and I want to say it's in Isaiah, the Isaiah 50s. But Yahweh says, who's Yahweh? God. And this is what He said. I will not share my glory with anyone. I will not share my glory with anyone. And then in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this. Lord, give back to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation. So what does Jesus have? The glory of the Father. And Yahweh in the Old Testament said, I will share my glory with no one. Now look at this passage again. John 1.14 We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So He has the glory of the Father and He is full of what? Grace and truth. Those are two things that you desperately need. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We desperately need them. Where do they come from? Jesus. Where do they come from? The Word. Where do they come from? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Right? Grace and truth. Alright. Um, so we're only going to get A3 tonight. I'm not going to hold you all late like we did last time that we were together. But let's look at um, that uh, 8, uh, 3, uh, paragraph, or uh, statement F. You see that? He might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety. What does that word surety mean? If you offer yourself a surety for someone, what does that mean? Yeah. Have you ever co-signed on a loan with somebody? And got busted up financially for that, right? You co-signed on a loan, they default on a loan, what's going to happen? They're going to come looking for you to pay it. You see? So when you become surety for someone, you're giving them your word that you've got it. So, this passage, let's look at that passage together. It says, He might thoroughly be furnished to execute the office of mediator. Like, so he's got an office and that office is mediator. He's the go-between between us and who? The Father. Alright? And as, because he's that go-to between us and the Father, not only is he our mediator, but he's our surety. Alright? I want you to think about that. How many sheep does the good shepherd lose? None. If he loses a sheep, he's not the good shepherd. That's right. The sheep got the sheep left him, and he went and got him. Why? Because he don't lose them. He's not going to lose a sheep. If you are His sheep, you have a surety. Your salvation is a promise from God. What did you do to earn your salvation? Nothing. It was grace. God gave it to you. God gave you His promise of salvation. If if, if He lets you slip and fall away from that salvation and you go to hell, then He's broken His promise. Yes. So I've heard three, uh, 
No, well, I can tell you this: salvation is a promise from God. So God. once you have salvation, you got it. Yeah. Jesus said, "Marvel not, I say to you, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." Right? All right. That new birth is a gift from Him. The new birth is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Why did He? Why did He save you? He loves you. That's, that's definitely the truth. And why does He love you? Not because of you. It's because you are a gift to Him from the Father. Alright, let's, um, I want to break away from this for just a second. Um, turn with me, really, I want to share something with you. Turn to John 6 for, with me. <clears throat> there is a giant rift in the body of Christ between whether you can lose your salvation or you can't. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other because when I came here nine or ten years ago, I was told that I'm I'm supposed to stay away from that. So like, I'm not supposed to preach eternal security to the believer. I don't know why I was told that. But what I'm going to do tonight, I'm not going to teach the eternal security to the believer. I'm going to turn you to the Scriptures and we're going to read some Scriptures and see what it says. You need to work your salvation out of fear and trembling on your own. You need to find out what the Word of God says, why it says it, what you believe it says, and you need to hold on to what it says. Okay? So look with me in John chapter 6. Let's see. I'm going to use the uh, ESV just because that's the first one that came up on my screen here. John 6. All right, and let's look at All right. We'll start in verse 25. John 6:25. I'm going to read a bunch for context so that we can so you know I'm not just pulling a bunch of verses out of the ring. It says, "When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, what does the word rabbi mean? Teacher." When did you come here? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So why are the people seeking him? Have food. Man, you ask any church in your hometown and they will tell you that there's constantly somebody knocking on the door wanting them to pay a light bill or wanting to give them some money so they can buy some food or get them some clothes. Like, the church is a always doing for people. And people know that. And there are a lot of people that come and take advantage of that. Like they go and they ask. I mean, can you imagine going and asking your church, your local church, to pay your light bill for you? Right? And people do that. Right? And so these people are not seeking him because of the sign. They're seeking him because their bellies got filled up. He, he fed them. He was, he was appealing to their carnal nature. Right? Now it says this. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Alright? Again, we talked about we already talked about that tonight, right? The whole God sealed him with the Holy Spirit. Now it says this. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, What now watch this verse. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Alright, now there's a dual statement there, isn't it? 
is saying you need to do the work of God. The work of God is that you believe in Him who He has sent. Why do we believe? Because God works in us. If God works in us, we believe because we're doing the works of God. Does that make sense? But look at that statement again. This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He sent. So there is a way that you can see that where it's saying the reason that you believe is because God is at work in you. Fair enough? Alright, next verse. Verse 30. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Alright? So there's a little play there going on about the wilderness experience, and they were like, show us something to prove you who you are. Like, Moses got the manna for us. Like, if we got fed man in the wilderness, that's a good sign. Like, show us something like that. Now, Jesus has already showed them that sign at you. They already got a belly full of bread. But just because He filled their belly full of bread does not mean they're what? They're not believing. You know why? Because they want a sign. Again, the natural man says, show me and I'll believe you. That's natural. Give me proof. Prove it to me. Show me. The natural man says, show me and I'll believe you. God says to the natural man, believe me and I'll show you. It's not seeing that it's believing, it's believing that it's seeing. You see how that works? Alright. So, there's a play going on here. He's already filled their bellies, they still don't believe. If he was to make it rain bread from out of heaven, they wouldn't believe. Matter of fact, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, what did he say? Go to my brothers and tell them about this place or they won't come here. And what did he say? If one were to rise from the dead and tell them, they wouldn't believe. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So what is Jesus saying? You already have my words. Hear the word and believe. That's the proof you're getting. You're getting my word. You're getting my promise. You're getting my truth. Believe it. You know one thing that all of God's sheep have in common? They all believe Him. They hear His voice and they follow Him. You want to know if you're one of His sheep? Believe Him. That's how you know you're His sheep. If you believe Him. You see? Now watch what He says. Verse 34, They said to him, Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now watch verse 37, because this one I want you to I want you to pray about it and think about what Jesus is saying right here. Verse 37. How many? What's the first word there? All. All. How many is that? Everyone. Everyone. All that the Father gives me will come to me. How many that the Father gives to the Son are going to come to Him? Every one of them. They will come in faith is what He's saying here. Right? All that the Father... So remember, the church is the bride of Christ. 
The church is a gift from the Father to the Son. Make sense? So how many of the bride is going to come to the Son? All. Why? Because the Father has given them to the Son. And how many are going to come? All of them. Alright, now look what he says next. It's better. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Alright? So, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do my Father's will. Is that fair? Alright, now watch what it says next. And this is the will of Him who sent me. This is what Jesus is saying right here. The will of my Father. This is the will of my Father. Right? Look what it says. What is the will of His Father? This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So it is the Father's will, it is God, the Creator's will, that all of those who He has given to the Son come to Him and believe. Now what you're going to have to wrestle with as a, as a believer is this. Can man's will override God's will? So, yeah. He gave us the option to go whichever way we want. That's our will. We decide. That's why I don't know. He knows the answer. What kind of will does someone who is dead have? No, no, no. You believe that? A dead person doesn't have a will? Yeah. Pretty dead. Well, Paul said in Ephesians, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God made you alive. Alright, now, Jesus said this, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. If you want to go to heaven, how do you go to heaven? You have to be born again. How many of you in this room know that new birth? How many of you, don't raise your hand, don't. how many of you truly can say, I was born again? I'm a child of God, a born again believer. Alright? You're working on it. Okay? I want you to remember this. Your salvation is God's work, not yours. He died on a cross to purchase. Uh, so the Father, look, look what he said. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died to save all of those that the Father had given him. So what that means is, is their salvation. Those all of the sheep all over the world, their salvation has already been purchased for them on the cross. And throughout the entire redemptive narrative of history, God has sent His apostles, His preachers to go out and share those promises with the world. Why? Because His sheep will hear His voice. How do they hear His voice? Through the proclamation of the Gospel. So, if you truly are a child of God, if you truly believe that He died on the cross to save you, the reason that you believe that is because He is at work in your heart. It's His grace at work in you. 
And what you have to do is set aside your will and let His will be done. You see? Yes. Sorry, I just want to go back. So that is salvation, though, once we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. But is that plus actions? Okay. Well, I don't know. I kind of got a little... Alright, so... Your salvation is not depending on you accepting Him. Your salvation is Him accepting you. And how did He accept you? When He died. Right? On the cross. Oh, That's okay. exactly so, right. So we already have salvation. He purchased that salvation, and what happens is you're dead in trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. He makes us alive. Remember what Jesus said? Marvel and I say to you, you must be born again. Alright, now, we're going to finish the class. We're never going to get done tonight, but I want to ask you this, and I'm this is not a joke. This is not being funny. This I want you to really understand. If you are a child of God in here today, the reason you are a child of God is because you're born again. You're a blood-bought child of God. And you have been given a new birth. And I want you to think about this. How many of you in this room chose to be born? How many? Not a single one. Well, I got news for you. Your salvation was a gift. He regenerated your heart and He gave you a gift of salvation. He gave you the new birth. He gave you the promise. And if you're working on it, and I'm not picking on you, if you're working on it, you'll mess it up. Now, again... As a child of God, do I work? Yes, you better believe it. I pray, I study the Word of God, I I go to church, I use the means of grace that He's given me. Uh, I, I work. But my work is a descriptive statement of my salvation, not a prescriptive statement of my salvation. All right. What is the difference in a description and a prescription? What is a prescription? Okay, a prescription is something that is, it is, you do this and you will get better. That's a prescription. What is a description? You are healthy. You don't need any medicine. Okay, good. Our works are a profession of our faith. They are not what claims our faith. They are not what holds our faith. They are not what keeps us saved. My prayers, my reading the Bible, my not cussing, my not drinking, not smoking, and being kind to my neighbors is not what saves me. It is an expression of my salvation. The new birth is both descriptive and prescriptive. You must be born again. That's doctor, the great physician's statement to you. You must be born again. Why? Because you're dead in trespasses and sin. Walking according to the course of this world. And He is the one that gives you new life. That get that is a gift from Him. Alright, I got I said we weren't going to stay tonight, but let me look at look at one more passage with me. Let me let me um let me read that one more time for you. I say to you. 
verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. How many? All. Whoever, that's the whoever's of John 3.16, all of the believing ones that come to me, I will never cast out. Anybody that comes to Him, He will not cast out. How many are going to come to Him? All. For I have come to, down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. If He loses one of His sheep, then His Father's will has been broken. Alright? And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. All that He gives me, but raise it up on the la- I will raise up on the last day. So on the last day, on Judgment Day, all of His children are going to be raised up. All of them. Alright, now, look at this passage and then we're done. John 1, 12 and 13. John chapter 1. Alright, look at John 1, 12 and 13. You ready? It says this. Or we'll start in verse 11. He came to His own... And his own people did not receive him. Who's it talking about there? Jesus, who were his people? The nation of Israel. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But look what it says next. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. Alright, watch what it says again. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to how many? All who did receive Him He gave them the right to become children of God. What does it mean to say He gave you the right to do something? The privilege, the ability to do it. He gave you the right to become a child of God. And these children, look what it says, are not born from blood. What that means is, is your mommy and daddy, even if they're deacons in the church and piano players in the choir, they cannot pass on eternal life to you through your genetics. Your parents can't pass it on to you. That's what it means to be born of blood. See what it says again? These children were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That's your free will, by the way. You are not born by your will of the flesh. You don't just go, I'm going to be born. No child ever did that. You did not do that to be born on this earth. And, and we make a joke about it. I'm being serious. Not one single child ever chose of his own free will to be born. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. What that means is, my desire would be for everyone in this room to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and join me in heaven and have eternal life. But I could preach to you until 10, which none of you would be happy about, and then I couldn't change the fact of your eternal state. That's between you and God. You see how that works? But that, nor the will of man, but of God. So last thing, and then we're done, I promise we're going to close with prayers, 9 o'clock. But to all who did receive Him, verse 12, to all who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. These children were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of the will of God is what I'm saying. It was God's will that they be born. He came to His own, His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. You see, so your salvation is God's will for you. And if if you can lose your salvation, that means God can change His mind. Your salvation was written in eternity. And it will last for eternity. His plan when He died on that cross was to save His people. And that plan is being fulfilled before our very eyes today. Alright? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank You so much for Your love for us. Thank You so much for sending Your Son so that He could save us. Lord, help us to realize what a beautiful gift Your grace and Your truth is. Help us to realize what a beautiful gift eternal life is. Help us to realize that it's You and Your love and Your power and Your mercy and Your will that we be children of Yours. I pray for every man and woman in this room. I pray if there be someone here today, Lord, who is struggling to know You, that You would help them to receive You and to believe You. That You would show them Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, these truths are eternal truths and they are full of richness and wisdom and knowledge far beyond our ability to understand. My prayer is that You would just help us to grasp a little of what you wish for us to know. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.